stand as we worship.
Welcome to Hopevale. Um, I'm really sweaty for 9.05 a.m. <laughs> Why don't we go ahead and uh, welcome the people around us on this last day of February. Well, good morning again, everyone. Welcome to Hopevale. My name's Sam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Um, we are a, a church that's striving to become a community of grace and truth. 
that invites people to know and follow Jesus. And so we are excited that you have joined us this morning. Um, Church here, it's just a chance for us to get to celebrate who Jesus is and to worship him, and we get to do that in multiple different ways. We get to do that by singing songs together and proclaiming truth together. We get to do that by praying together, celebrating communion together like we're going to do in a little bit, Um, hearing from God's word and responding to it, but we also get to do that through being generous and giving Um, because we realize that freely we've received and freely we want to give back um, to God and knowing that he's going to use that to bless other people. So as the ushers come forward uh, this morning to gather our our tithes and offerings, I just want to say this. um, If you are newer to Hopevale or maybe you wouldn't call Hopevale Church your home, um, you can feel free to take a pass on this part of the service. We want this to be a gift to you. But if you do call Hopevale Church your home and you are planning on giving, there's multiple ways that you can give as the Plates are passed, you can give that way, or you can uh, give online, or you can actually give through our Hopevale um, mobile app. You can download that, and right on there, you, you uh, scroll down, and it says give. You click on that, and you can actually do that right during the service. So just many different ways that, uh, that you can give this morning and be generous. So as we prepare to do that, let's go to God in prayer. God, we, uh, we thank you for a morning where we can come to you, where we can praise and worship your name and lift you up and Um, God, we're excited and anticipating you doing some awesome things in our lives and doing awesome things through our church to bless other people. And so we just want to be generous and give back to you because you have freely given to us. And so we hold our our resources loosely and we say, God, use them in a way that's going to bless someone else. And we know you will, and we're excited to partner with you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is 
proclaim our faith, that we decide to follow Jesus. There's no turning back from that. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before us. The cross before me. The world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. The world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Christ seat. Once a month, we gather together um, around the uh, communion table to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, I was thinking as I was putting all this together, and I was looking at the song choices, and that song was going to be the one right before we do communion. I thought, what a you know, better song to sing and to proclaim the truth of that song than right before we take communion, that Christ is enough, that everything I need is found in Him, that the cross before me, the world behind me, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And I was reading this week in 1 Corinthians, and it just kind of fits so well, and so I wanted to read it together here this morning. 1 Corinthians 1.18 and, and following, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And I I just, I love that passage of scripture because it says Christ is enough. The cross is, is enough and the cross is what I'm going after. No turning back, it's before me. And, and I just thought, man, that's a, a beautiful picture of what we're celebrating here this morning in communion. That Jesus went to the cross as a substitute for me because I can never pay for my own sins. And yet Christ died for me. And it seems like foolishness to people that don't understand it because they're like, I don't understand why someone would have to die for you. But for those of us who recognize the depth of our sin, for those of us who realize we can't do it on our own, and that Jesus paid that price for us, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. And for us to declare this morning, Christ is enough, and then to celebrate what he did on the cross, I think is, is an amazing thing. And so here at Hopevale, um, we don't say that you have to be a member to participate in communion. All that we, we say is that, and we ask is that, um, that you may have made that declaration in your life, Christ is enough, I'm following Jesus. There's a moment in your life where you said, you know what, I can't do it on my own. I need Christ for the forgiveness of my, of my sins. And you've, you've decided that that is where you're going with your life, that that moment has taken place in your life. And if that is the case for you, then we would say, come with us, join with us as we celebrate communion together. If that doesn't describe you, then we would, we would respectfully ask that as the elements are passed, that you just let them pass on by. And we ask that for a couple reasons. First, out of respect for what we're doing here um, and what it means to us, and also out of respect for yourself, that um, you wouldn't participate in something that would just be an empty ritual that you go through your day and it would just have no meaning to you. Um, so if that is, you just kind of let those elements pass by. But we would also ask you to think about what we've, what we've sung already and what we've talked about and the message of the cross and what does that mean for you and who is Jesus for you. There's been many times in a service like this where, where people have come to a, a relationship with Christ because of this very thing. They, they have asked themselves, who is Jesus to me? And so we would ask you to consider that question here this morning. If you're a parent of a child, a little child, and, um, and they are, are a follower of Jesus, we would just ask you to use your, your parental discretion. If you think they're ready for it, then that's great. We trust you. Um, if they're not, maybe it's a chance for you to get a, uh, an opportunity to teach them kind of what we're doing here. Um, but if they are, we would love for them to participate with us. So as we um, begin this morning, to to go into a time of communion as we take the bread, as the ushers come forward to do that. Let's go to God in prayer over the bread, the body of Jesus Christ. God, we, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the message of the cross, though sometimes to some people it seems like utter foolishness. It's the power of God to those of us who are being saved, who understand the depth of our sin and the amazing grace that you've given us. And so God, we proclaim that today. And God, we thank you for Jesus, for his body that was broken for us. And as we eat this little piece of bread, we remember that this morning, and we remember uh, the length that you went to to show us how much you love us. And so God, I pray that um, as we enter into this moment, that we would 
remember that, we would reflect on that, but we wouldn't take it lightly. And that we would come to you with gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. I have wandered, I have strayed. I'm tired of running, I'm tired of my own ways. No more excuses, no more games. I come here broken. night that Jesus was betrayed, he was actually gathered with his disciples in the upper room. They were celebrating the Passover meal together, and a part of that meal was some unleavened bread, and he, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he handed it out to his disciples, and he said, this, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. Let's go to prayer for the cup. Jesus, we come to you humbly today remembering your cross and remembering the blood that you shed on that cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Scriptures tell us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, and so we understand why you did it. We understand the depth of your love and your grace for us. So Jesus, we say thank you 
for the cross. Thank you for your blood that you shed for us. We're forever grateful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Forgiveness 
That same night, Jesus took the cup and he offered his, it to his disciples. He said, this is the new covenant of my blood. As long as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. God, we thank you for a morning where we can come gathered around the table to remember your son Jesus, to remember the cross, to remember grace and forgiveness and hope and love and eternity with you. God, may we never forget that. May we never take that for granted. And may it drive who we are as people to love you, to love others, and to know and follow you in the best way we possibly can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a great time of worship, and what a great song, that simple chorus of us being in need of grace. We were praying before the service, and my hope is that wherever you may be in your journey with the Lord, you know, whether you feel far from him or close, you would know your need for grace. We are several weeks along now in our series entitled Hashtag Bless, uh, Living and Learning the Beatitudes of Jesus. And as I talked about at the beginning of this series, you know, the core message of the Beatitudes is simply this, that God loves to bless people. He loves to bless people. The word Beatitude itself comes from a Latin word that simply means happiness, right? But make no mistake, the kind of happiness that Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes isn't just a high, a rush, a fleeting pleasure that makes us feel good for a moment only to fade away soon after and leaving us empty and searching for more. No, the blessings of God in the Beatitudes, they invite us, invite us to a deeply rooted happiness and an enduring joy that lasts forever. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this, that when you think about God, what kind of feelings do you associate with those thoughts? When you think about God, what kind of feelings do you associate with those thoughts? Do you, do you go to places of joy and happiness, like I just talked about, or are your feelings different? Maybe things like obligation, fear, boredom, drudgery, because so many of us mash up our thoughts about God with our feelings about church and religion that's often formed up in our growing up years. We really do tend to view God more through the lens of duty rather than delight. And so we think about God and we, we hear those messages, keep the rules, try to be good, stay out of trouble. 
And as a result, those kinds of restrictive and confining messages lead us to believe that God is only about morality and being good, but he's not about joy and having fun. Listen, a lot of people will live with those kind of thoughts and feelings about God, and you might be one of them. But if that's you, you've got it all wrong. You do, because Jesus' message in the Beatitudes is that God is a God of blessing, that God is a God of joy, that God wants to lead us past rule-keeping religion and into a place of life-giving righteousness, right? a place of growing joy now and a place of endless joy forever. So the big question for all of us here, and myself included, is simply this, do I believe it? Do I really believe that the joy my heart is desperately longing for, do I believe that can only be found in God? Do I believe that, or do I believe and act like I've got to go somewhere else or to someone else to find that kind of joy? And when I say believe, let me make it clear, I'm talking about much more than just, you know, facts in our heads or words in our mouth. Now, I'm talking about the kind of belief that drives my behavior, the kind of belief that directs my choices. See, we all have plenty of examples of people we know who can say and do all the right religious things, right? But when you look more closely at their lives, you can detect that there's some other stronger and deeper motivation, right? That they're placing their higher and greater joy in something else other than God. And when we live like that, we're all tempted in that direction. We're essentially telling Jesus that he's got it all wrong in the Beatitudes, that he doesn't really know what he's talking about and that we know better. And so like we saw a couple weeks ago in 1 John chapter 2, we veer off in the direction of things like the lust of the flesh where our hearts run after sex and intimacy. We veer off in the direction of the lust of the eyes where we passionately pursue greed and materialism. Or we veer off in the direction of the pride of life where we covet greater status and high self-importance. And so we make these things our God. They are what we worship. They are what we think will make our hearts happy. Listen, it's one thing to say that you believe in God in a general sense, but it's another thing to believe in God that he is your greatest joy and where your worship of him affects every hour of your week and every area of your life in a 168 kind of way. That's why the Beatitudes are so important because they point us to a capital L life that we are always meant to enjoy, both right now and forever after. And let me just add, all that is possible only because of Jesus and everything we just celebrated in communion. So in a moment, we're gonna look at the next beatitude in our series, and as we do, I want you to keep in mind everything I've just said. Everything, because while all the beatitudes speak about joy and the happiness that can only be found in the Lord, this specific one reminds us to not settle to not settle for any other kind of cheap or counterfeit joy. Don't settle, Jesus says, but instead, for all the days that you walk this earth, stay on track, keep fighting for the greatest joy possible that can only be found in our Lord. And as I say all that, I'm reminded of the words of the great Christian author C.S. Lewis, who had this to say about the desires of our hearts and our pursuit of joy. He says this, that, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. 
when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. Let that sink in for a moment. We settle. We trade a greater joy for a weaker one. See, the real tragedy of things like sin and lust and giving in to temptation is not that our passions have run wild. No, it's that our passions have run off in the wrong direction. And so we're these half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink or sex or ambition or whatever else you can think of. Well, all along, God and God alone is offering us infinite joy. Infinite joy, and believe that, not just up here, but also in here. That's certainly the message of the Beatitudes we saw two weeks ago when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, they will be satisfied. And it's also the message of our Beatitude for today. So without further ado, let's go ahead and read the sixth of Jesus' eight Beatitudes. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus says this. Let's say this together. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, this Beatitudes follows the pattern just like we've seen with the previous ones, right? That the first part is a requirement of the blessing, while the second part is the reward of the blessing, right? The requirement and the reward. Here's what Jesus wants you to embrace about yourself. Here's what he wants you to pursue with your life. And then as you do, you open yourself up to be able to receive and to experience the blessings that God wants to pour out into your lives. Requirement, reward. Now for most of this series, so we've looked at these Beatitudes, I've usually started with the front half first, the requirement. Who does Jesus want me to be? What does Jesus want me to do? And that made sense because ideas like being poor in spirit and us being meek need some explanation. And the same is true here with being pure in heart, and we'll get to that a little later on. But I want us to begin today with the reward and what it means when Jesus says the blessing here is that we will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Why is that such a big deal? Well, for starters, it's such a big deal because it ties directly with everything I've talked about when it comes to God being our greatest and highest joy. See, it's one thing for us to be blown away by the blessings that God gives us in life, but it's another thing on an even higher level for us to be in the very presence of the one who gives those blessings, of the one who loves us more than we could ever possibly imagine. A couple weeks ago, we just came out of Valentine's Day, right? And I think that illustrates this pretty well got two people in love sharing cards and gifts and flowers and candy with each other, and that's great. But the even greater experience on that day is actually being together with the one you love and the one who loves you. Valentine's Day is a far different experience if you've got to spend that day apart from that person, maybe because of some work or travel or maybe even military reasons. No, there's something magical about actually being with that person and seeing them face to face, sharing presence together, right? This is the kind of joy Jesus is talking about here. Now, when we think about the reward then of this beatitude, we need to recognize that there is both a present and a future aspect to us being able to see God. Present and future. So for now, in the present, because God is 
completely holy and we are not. Our experience of this blessing is imperfect and incomplete. We see this dynamic at play in the Old Testament between the Lord and Moses, Exodus chapter 33. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence, but you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. God is holy, we are not. Similarly, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament makes this statement, 1 Timothy chapter 6, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. To him be the honor and might forever. Amen. That this God of great love that we worship is also a God of infinite holiness, a God of immortality. He alone lives and dwells in the unapproachable light of holy perfection. And so on this side of heaven, the blessing of this beatitude is very real, but it's also just a fraction of what awaits us in the future. I like the way Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, as he contrasts the present with the future. He says this, for now we, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then, you know, in the future, we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. It's great now, Paul says, this reflection, this mediated experience, right, of us seeing and being with God in this life, but just you wait, he goes on to say, because the best is yet to come. You have no idea what lies ahead for you, Christian, Paul is saying. You know, it's great when we can Skype, right, or FaceTime with a distant family member. I hear that a lot with grandparents and their grandkids and what a joy that is, but let's face it, it's just not the same, is it? It's being face-to-face -face in the flesh together, is it? So you take that analogy, you multiply it by a billion trillion, and only then do you get to imagine the joy right, that awaits us as Christians. How great is it going to be? Well, here's Paul's best shot at trying to explain it. Earlier on in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, As it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. This is Paul's best shot. In other words, how do you explain the unexplainable? You can't. You just have to imagine that it's going to be incredible and wonderful beyond description, beyond imagination. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's a blessing that's going to blow us away in the life to come. But let me tell you, it's also really good stuff in this life, in the here and now. It is. That's why King David wrote these words of passion and worship in Psalm 27 as he describes his pursuit of God. Verse 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This only do I seek. See, it's not like there are two different joys that we're supposed to pursue, that there's the joy of earth now versus the joy of heaven later, the joy of our 60, 70, 80 years here versus the joy of eternity. No, it's all the same. 
David knew that there's no greater joy possible than seeing and seeking after God, to gaze upon his beauty, to seek after him in worship. That is the joy. That is the blessing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It is the best possible blessing you could ever imagine. And so don't settle for anything less. Well, I could keep on going and talking about the rewards of this beatitude, but we also have to look at the requirements. Blessed are the pure in heart, right? Blessed are the pure in heart. What does it mean for us to be pure in heart? Does it mean that we can never have any dirty thoughts or greedy desires or selfish motives or vengeful feelings? And if we do, does that mean we're disqualified from experiencing the blessings of this beatitude? I mean, let's face it, if that's the standard, then we're all in big trouble because I don't know anyone who can pass that kind of test, right? Pure in heart? Really? And yet, on the other hand, we've got to resist the temptation of watering this down, right? Of redefining what Jesus said so it's a lot easier for us. Yeah, I know he said pure in heart, but he didn't mean absolutely pure in heart. Right? No, he just kind of meant mostly or a little more than average pure in heart. That's got to be it, don't you think? No, it's not. We can't bend God's word to fit our definition. So what does it mean then for us to be pure in heart? Well, for starters, there's a harsh diagnosis from the Bible that we need to accept when it comes to the state of our heart. When I say heart, I don't mean the physical heart that pumps blood throughout our body. No, I mean heart as it's described in the Bible. The immaterial, spiritual, emotional center of our being. The place of our desires and passions and longings and motivations. It defines who we are. It drives what we do, the heart. And ever since our original ancestors, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God, rebelled against his authority over their lives, all of us are cursed with a heart that is selfish sinful, and stubborn. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah describes the heart this way. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Beyond cure. That is that you and I, we can't self-remedy the deceptive nature of our hearts. Jesus echoes the same thing in the New Testament. He's getting after the Pharisees who are fixated, right, on outward behavior and obedience to nitpicky religious rules. And so in Matthew chapter 15, he challenges their unhealthy obsession with ceremonial hand-washing as the sign of what it means to be spiritual. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth and goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Verse 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. That's the nature of our hearts that left to our own devices apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. There's absolutely no way any of us could possibly pass the pure in heart test. Really, this is just the same thing Jesus is getting at with that first beatitude, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those of us who come to grips with our spiritual poverty apart from Jesus Christ and understand our great need for his saving grace. 
You see, that's where the good news comes in. That's where the sacrificial and substitutionary death of Jesus that we just remembered in communion, it changes everything for us. Where the blessing of being pure in heart is now possible. So what does it mean then for us to be pure in heart? Well, as you look in Scripture, there are two aspects to us being pure in heart. Two aspects. I've illustrated it this way. That to be pure in heart as a Christian means that my heart is clean and my heart is clear. My heart is clean, my heart is clear. Where a clean heart is an unstained heart, while a clear heart is an undivided heart. Clean and clear. So let's talk about those in greater detail. What does it mean for us as Christians? First of all, a clean heart is an unstained heart. You know, there is a wonderful passage in the book of Hebrews that talks about our new reality as Christians. And much like we saw earlier, there is a present and a future aspect to that new reality. And so in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 14, we read this about our standing in Christ. For by one sacrifice he, speaking of Jesus, has made perfect forever those, speaking of us, right, made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Let me read that again. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What does it mean? We have been made perfect, but we are being made holy? Well, when you think about your salvation, there is an aspect where the guilt of your sin has already been dealt with on the cross completely, that in the eyes of a holy God, you are seen as perfect and clean and unstained in Christ, where his righteousness covers your sin. The fancy theological term for this is justification, that you and I, we have been made perfect in Christ forever, this passage says. And yet, in addition to our spiritual perfection in Christ, there is also a spiritual progress we make by the Holy Spirit. This is known as sanctification, where we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we are in the process of being made holy. Our lives becoming more unstained in our words and our deeds and our thoughts and our motives, where our character is increasingly being conformed to the character of Jesus, where our lives are gradually reflecting more and more of the pure fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is spiritual growth. This is spiritual maturity, and it is a process. And so when it comes to our purity as Christians, you might read this verse in Hebrews this way, that for by one sacrifice he, Jesus, has purified, has cleansed forever those of us who are being made pure, being made clean, present and future, perfection and progress. So it's who I am now as a Christian, it's who I am becoming, and it's who I will eventually be when I am with the Lord. Listen, we are all in progress as Christians Every one of us, and so when it comes to being clean and pure and unstained in our thoughts and our desires and our motives and our feelings, we're not going to get it right all the time. We're not. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall, but that's where grace comes in. The grace that forgives us when we're down, but also the grace that motivates us to get back up and keep on going. You know, the best thing we can do as Christians, is just to be honest with ourselves about our imperfect, inconsistent, erratic progress that we make in spiritual growth. To be honest with God about it, honest with ourselves, and honest with others. I think of the words of the Apostle John in 1 John 
verse 8, verse 9, a passage that's familiar to some of you. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, confessing our sins to God, being honest with him about those, it's not about us earning forgiveness. It's about us experiencing forgiveness, right? Confession doesn't earn forgiveness, but it's the way we experience forgiveness. And as that happens, God purifies us from the stain of our unrighteousness. There is this cleansing, there is this liberating effect that takes place in us. Because grace doesn't just deal with sin generically. No, it deals with our sins, plural, specifically. God doesn't just want to forgive you. He also wants to purify you. He wants to deliver you from those sins that have got a hold on your life, those habits, those thought patterns, purified, delivered, so that you can experience greater freedom to live the God-honoring life that you deep down really want to live as a Christian. So don't let your sins surprise you, but also don't let your sins defeat you. Instead, turn to God in honest confession and let him do his purifying and cleansing work in you. A clean heart is an unstained heart. That's one side of what it means to be pure in heart, but there's another side as well that's talked in the Bible, and that's where purity means that our hearts are clear and undivided, that a clear heart is an undivided heart. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, he's calling us to be people of one heart, of one mind, that we are single focused in our devotion, that we are undivided in our loyalty, where there is this incredible consistency and integrity in our lives, where our walk matches our talk, where how we look in public is the same as how we live in private. Now, you know the opposite of this, right? The opposite of a clear and undivided heart? It's hypocrisy. It's inconsistency. It's being two-faced and living by double standards. And listen, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the greatest undermining threat to genuine Christian faith is not atheism. It's not evolution. It's not the radical right or the liberal left. No, it's hypocrisy. It's hypocritical Christians who say one thing but do another, who, who are highly strict and judgmental toward other people, yet incredibly permissive and forgiving with themselves. Hypocrisy flows from an unclear and divided heart. And so you go back to the time of Jesus. You read the Gospels, and you see what really riled him up the most. It wasn't godless paganism. No, it was hypocritical religion. And as we've seen previously in this series, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were his main targets. Look at what Jesus says about them here in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside. What an image, huh? But on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, verse 28, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. Appear to people as righteous but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What a graphic image, right? 
Hypocrisy is the sign of a divided heart, a divided life, of wanting to appear righteous, but deep down pursuing a me-first agenda. And this kind of dividedness is the same reason Jesus says later on in the Sermon on the Mount that we can't serve two masters, that we can't chase after both God and money. No, as Christians, God invites us to a life where he alone is the sole focus of our heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, the undivided of heart, for they will see God. I love this simple prayer from King David, Psalm 86, verse 11. He says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Now look at this. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. That I may always put you first and never give in to my own selfish agenda or anyone else's for that matter. You want a prayer for the week? Psalm 86, verse 11, right there. Now again, like I said before, we're all still growing as Christians. None of us have yet arrived to the place where we could truly say that our hearts are completely clear and undivided. If we're honest with ourselves, we still possess an inconsistency of faith where we don't always practice what we preach, where we sometimes treat others differently than we wish to be treated. But even though we're still in process, this kind of consistency, this kind of singular kingdom focus remains our goal, where we trust the Holy Spirit to bring healing, to bring restoration, to bring a wholeness to our fragmented lives. I love how David says in Psalm 86, he says, give me an undivided heart, Lord. Give me. In other words, it's God's gift, not our accomplishment. Only God can do that kind of unifying work in us. And so we give him our availability, our effort, our desire to pursue the goal of being and becoming pure in heart. Both clean and clear, unstained, undivided, and fit for our Lord. So blessed, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's a promise of great joy and blessing both for this life, but also for the life to come. And so as we wrap up today, I want to leave you with one final passage that I think just beautifully brings all this together, both the requirements and the rewards of this beatitude to give us a hunger, to give us a taste, to give us a motivation to want to live out Jesus' words in this beatitude. The passage is found in 1 John chapter 2, and in verse 2 he says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Remember those passages? Lord to Moses, no one can see me and live. No one can come to the God in unapproachable light and see him. And yet there will come a time where we shall be like him and we shall see him as he is. Unfiltered, unmediated, face to face in his presence. We, as the children of God through Jesus Christ, will one day see the Lord. And what's partial now in this life will be made complete in the life to come. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is in the very presence of the Lord. And what unspeakable joy that will be! 
This, John says here, is our greatest hope. This is what we seek. This is what we wait for. And yet, our waiting is not passive. Verse 3. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. No, it's not a passive hope. No, the hope of one day seeing the Lord and being with him forever, it drives us to what? It drives us to purify ourselves just as he, God himself, is pure. See, the greatest motivation for things in our lives like moral choices, righteous living, loving behavior, it's not about avoiding judgment. It's about pursuing joy. It's about entering into the life that God has for us, about holding on to the only hope that matters in the end, for we shall see him as he is. So until that time comes, we need to welcome the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us clean, to make us clear. I have no doubt that through this service today, whether through communion, through these songs, or through this message, God has put his finger on something in your life to talk about your purity of heart. Yes, you are perfect in Christ, but we are all these works in progress by the Holy Spirit. So let us have these hearts for God and hearts towards others, right, that are increasingly unstained and undivided. For blessed, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's pray together. Lord, we are made for you. We enjoy blessings, but those blessings point us to the blessor, to our creator, to our great and gracious God who did not spare his own son, but sent him into this world for us because of your great love. We celebrate that today through communion, but we want to carry it on in our lives to pursue in Christ, empowered by your spirit, the kind of unstained and undivided life that you want from each of us. This church, we're a group of people in process. And we get tempted, we get allured by these lesser things, these counterfeit joys. It's hard to walk by faith, but give us that grace to do so. Give us those glimpses of you. Give us those glimpses of heaven in this life so that we'll keep on going and not give up, that your grace would reign over us and in us and through us now and forever. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. We want to see Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You just stand together. We're going to respond with this closing song of worship, a song of worship that's going to whet our appetite for things to come.
you are my everything and I will adore you. That is the cry of those who are pure in heart. Make, make Jesus your greatest joy. Next week, we'll continue our series in the Beatitudes. Pastor Ken's going to talk about what it means for us to be peacemakers and what that looks like in our everyday lives. also want to remind you tonight that at 6 p.m. right here, we are doing our Sunday Night Spotlight panel discussion on Christianity and race, an honest biblical conversation about a very touchy subject. We'll have Pastor Hurley Coleman and a couple other guests with us, and really looking forward to that. If you're able to come out tonight, we'd love to see you. But as you go from here, may the blessing of God be upon your life. God bless you.